Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. <laughs> That's not a knife. G'day! Welcome to Not a Knife, the podcast that is all about culture, unity, reviews, and banter. This podcast is proudly part of the Ozcast Network, where you can hear other great shows like The Bad Cast, the final episode of The Adelaide Show, as well as The Wall Street Guy. All fantastic podcasts that I highly recommend listening to. This podcast is also proudly recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region, and I pay respects to their elders both past, present, and emerging. On this particular episode, well, look... Let me get a little bit introspective for a second here. When I restarted doing podcasting and and launched The Curb, I did it under the guise of, you know, I I love talking about films, I love talking about cinema, and I love talking to filmmakers. That is certainly something that I keep on doing and I really enjoy doing and I want to do for a very long time. But one of the things which I had felt that kind of restricted me by having a film review website, AB Film Review, which was a great website and, you know, I had a lot of great fun uh, doing that particular show and interviewing people under that banner, was that, well, it restricted me in a few ways in the sense that I felt like I always had to do cinema stuff. And that's something that I do enjoy doing, but I kind of wanted to branch out into something a little bit different. And so what I did with The Curb was I was like, you know what, I'm going to tackle as many different things as possible. I'm going to try and reach out to as many different voices as possible. And, you know, there's certainly still been film associated, as you'll find out with this particular episode, is still associated with a film. And the same with when I interviewed Julian Burnside, who on my list of people that I'd love to interview was second on the list of people that I was itching to interview. So, you know, I managed to scratch uh, that particular name off pretty early. And certainly when I interviewed Julian was for a film. So I'm still kind of working in those parameters. But one of the key things that I wanted to do with Not A Knife and The Curb is certainly try and branch out into areas that I'm less comfortable with. And what is an area that I'm most less comfortable, most less comfortable, there we go, speaking English just wonderfully, that I'm least comfortable with? Well, talking about space. I love space, I do, but it is such a mammoth thing that I feel dwarfed by it. And when I had the opportunity of speaking to NASA scientists, NASA scientists, oh my God, I jumped at the opportunity and I was like, you know what, I am going to sit down with these people and talk to them about what they do. And so when the documentary, the Australian documentary, Living Universe came out and which has got a fantastic screening um, the 18th of August, right tomorrow, Saturday, 18th of August at Inaloo, Q&A session with these two fantastic minds. Uh, when that opportunity came along, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. And so I managed to sit down with Alex Kling and Megan Shabram to talk about what they do as NASA scientists. And 
I had a great time. I, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed doing it. But I just want to preface this conversation by saying one thing. You know, I, I pushed myself to do this kind of stuff. I pushed myself out of my comfort boundaries to be like, you know what, Julian Burnside, he is infinitely smarter than I am. And I'm going to sit down and talk to him about what he does. And Alex and Megan, they are infinitely smarter than I am. Uh, certainly dealing in areas that I, I still don't comprehend, uh, but I, I love learning about and me sitting down with them challenges me and challenges, you know, what I can do. So what I'm saying basically is that, you know, if you set yourself a goal and if you branch out past the, the areas that you are comfortable with, sure, you're going to feel uncomfortable. But I tell you what, you're going to learn some great things and you're going to do some things that really, really push you as a person. And that's what I hope to, to achieve with The Curb and Not A Knife. And hopefully I, I get to talk to even better, greater people. And, you know, I've got some really interesting things coming down the line. Uh, I'll be talking to the guy who made Hacknet, the, the great Australian game Hacknet soon. I'm really excited about that because that's a conversation I didn't think I would ever have. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to send him an email. And straight away he replied and said, yes, I'd love to have a talk to you about Hacknet. So I'll be doing that soon, and hopefully I can keep on delivering these kinds of things for you guys. I'm still, look, I know I'm like 10 episodes in on Not A Knife, and I'm still trying to figure out the format, so please do let me know if you like the solo uh, interview episodes, or if you prefer, if you don't mind me just kind of rambling a little bit. I know I don't tend to edit these things, so it is just kind of a stream of consciousness thing, which gets a little bit tiring. But I'm going to try and keep these to about 45 minutes an hour. I, I know that time is precious and all that kind of stuff. And here I am going six minutes in talking about me when this is a really great episode about space. So that's enough about me. Let's have a listen to a bit of uh, the trailer for Living Universe, which, as I said, Saturday, 18th of August, 2018, there is a Q&A session in Perth. And if you head over to the Living Universe website, which I'll put a link in the show notes, there are sessions that are occurring all around Australia that I highly recommend if you get the chance to head along to this because it's a really interesting documentary. And it's an interesting documentary in the sense that it, it is a film that deals with the science that is occurring right now and what the potential of this science is. And if science excites you, then great. That's exactly what you need to dig into doing um, because it's fantastic. You know, I, I really enjoy it. If you are in Sydney, however, uh, unfortunately, Alex and, and Megan won't be at the Sydney screen, but Sydney 24th, 24th of August, uh, Dr. Carl Kruzanischke, uh, I can never pronounce his surname, but basically Dr. Carl from, you know, the science guy, uh, and astrobiologist Taro Jokic and distributor Simon Nasht, they will be doing Q&A session uh, the 24th of August. And that will be soon as well. So really head along to go and see that. And then IMAX in Melbourne, IMAX at Melbourne Museum, 30th of August. Uh, also with Dr. Carl, uh, Professor Tamara Davis, who provides the voice of, of one of the characters in the film. And astrophysicist Jessica Bloom. These are all great minds. I highly recommend seeing this film. I had a lot of fun seeing it and I had a lot of fun talking to Megan and Alex. So stick around and enjoy this conversation. Why are we here? Where did we come from? Are there others like us? 
NASA says it's made a major discovery tonight, confirming the existence of a planet which is strikingly similar to our own. Every star that you see when you look up into the sky at night, we've learned has at least one planet. To take that leap to go to the stars, the distance is just so much further that it's just going to take some time. Rather, let us start with an idea. A spacecraft that goes to another star in a century. This year, that spacecraft must communicate, navigate, it must have propulsion. The world's smartest minds embark on an epic adventure. Lift off on a search for planets like our own. To rocket us into a future. I am Artemis, artificial intelligence, pilot of this starship. Where humanity's reach is interstellar. My mission is simple, to find life. And our discoveries will change everything. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm imagining that it's been pretty exciting coming to Australia and talking about what you guys do. So what's your experience been like here and meeting different people? Yeah, I found it to be an incredible experience, an experience of a lifetime. I mean, I've chatted to a lot of young women who are really just interested in my story and how I got to where I am. And we've just had incredible questions from the audience, ranging from just specifics from young kids about, you know, how do astronauts go to the bathroom? <laughs> All the way to sort of like, why is NASA doing this, that, and the other? And <laughs> political questions, science questions. And we've really been learning about ourselves and actually this big depth of knowledge that sometimes it's, we forget that we even have. Yeah. And that it's just it's so rewarding to share that and be of service. Yeah. Yeah. We tend to be very focused on very specific questions we're trying to answer and just, you know, stepping back and, and telling the people about the big picture. And I'm, myself, I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, because yeah, that's the thing. As I was saying, like, I, you know, space is such a complex thing. So I imagine that for you guys who hold all the knowledge, mm-hmm. how do you manage dealing with answering questions where, you know, you have all of this, this complex information and you've got to, dilute it down I guess into an easy to understand way how did you how do you manage to do that because I'm going to throw some at you in a minute as well (laughs) where I'm like yeah yeah so actually honestly the first time I did a a a public talk I had no idea where to start sure and my supervisor is pretty well known for her ability to to speak to the public so I engaged with her about like content and I also you know, talk with Alex. Alex was very helpful at like getting me feedback. And one of the things that really struck me was some, you know, advice to have one central message and, you know, a few personal stories and a few like supporting evidences for your message, have a call to action and kind of frame your, your story in that way. And that helps so much because day to day, you're just, really stuck with, you know, looking up on like stackoverflow.com, how to debug this part of my software, (laughs) like how, you know, editing paper. And so most of the time you don't get an opportunity to step back and do that. And it's actually very challenging and curating, you know, the content for different ages, different backgrounds and audiences has been so challenging and so rewarding. And Alex is, is just brilliant at doing this, by the way. So 
I don't know. I've learned so much from him. <laughs> I, I, I like kids, and uh, I think I heard uh, once. But you know, if you really know, if you're really an expert into something, you should be able to explain it to five years old. So I think it's just being very good practice, and uh, it's just yeah, it's just fascinating to share your passion and make sure you can engage and, and share the message. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, that means a lot of work we have to do, not to use any jargon. And be clear about yeah what, what we want to share the story we want to share yeah. So what got you guys into space to start off with? I personally, uh, when I was about eight years old, I had a teacher that was teaching uh, astronomy uh, just as a hobby, and I think that's why I got the bug, the the space bug. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I you know I like space. I study science and then engineering, and then I just follow my path. And uh, I had to do an internship. I got lucky to go into NASA. It was a good timing. I met the right people. I did an okay job, and they invited me to extend for another year. And and yeah, I've been at NASA for five years now. That's exciting. So little yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you? How how did you get into space? Yeah, I think like when I was a kid, I was one of those like you know daughters that had a hundred questions like why why why. <laughs> and so yeah, I think. Um, just being extremely curious, noticing different things that were really contradictory. I, I was always like, this doesn't make sense. And just really needing to know, like really needing to know answers to like some kind of existential questions when I was really little. And I think um, as I became a teenager, I kind of like forgot about it. It wasn't important. But by the time I had to choose what I wanted to study in college or pick a college, we got a list of majors in, in the U.S. colleges right after high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, at the top of the list, in, in the A's, and the ABC's, was astrophysics. And I just had no shame. I was like, this is so... I get to study that? I'm picking that. <laughs> and I think I also picked, like, plant biology or something. If, yeah. You know, you had to pick a couple. And I just went for it. And um, kind of tunnel my tunnel vision my way through it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Did you know what an astrophysicist was then? Or you just saw the word astro and physicist and went those both sound really interesting things that's got to be an interesting career path because for me like I didn't know I know that space exists like space exploration exists and then I was looking at all the different jobs and stuff like that and the the career parts I'm like this is fascinating I knew that it existed on earth but like for space is something completely different to me at least yeah that's an extremely good question especially because like, yes and no, you know, I, I had seen shows, I was at that age where, you know, when I was like, I'd say nine years old, we knew about hot Jupiter exoplanets, and I think I even saw on TV, which I later realized was a professor at my university, speaking about this, and I really was like, what, you know, and I think uh, I sort of knew, but I had no idea what it really meant to be an astrophysicist, I had no idea what I needed to, to learn at that point when I picked it, you know, in that moment. And I had no idea what was ahead. And that <laughs> made it such an adventure and an experience to grow as a person. And I feel like, yeah, I just, yeah, I think um, at that age, you just don't really know what's ahead. Yeah. yeah. And I would like to add that space is not necessarily a discipline in itself. It's more of a framework. So we have people that study a potential form of life on other planet, astrobiologists, and they are just biologists by training. And I'm an engineer by training. I was not necessarily a space engineer. And it's just, you know, 
people who study um, habitats for moon as just regular architects. So it's more of a passion. It's not necessarily something I know very segregated or separated. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's a framework. Yeah. So in that mind, like in Australia, we've got the new Australian Space Institute. I think that's the name of it coming up, which is pretty exciting for Australia because Australia's role in space exploration has been pretty important of our location. So I'm curious. Yeah. Like, and I think that, you know, I don't know if you've seen the film The Dish, but it portrayed the the role that australia had in the space landing like the moon landing and and Uh how important that was and a lot of australians had no idea that we were pretty vital in that um so i'm curious like is there the global aspect of space exploration and looking for life out there how important is it and how important is it that we all work together to find things out in space I have a quick answer to say. Uh, yeah. know, a lot of countries leading in space exploration are in the northern hemisphere, so they can look at the northern part of the sky. But if you want to care about the other half of the universe, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing to have people looking in the south. So places like Chile and and, uh, and Australia are, you know, are extremely important, and they are pretty big in radio astronomy and doing some fundamental science. Yeah, and yeah, the social implications are just huge. We can use sort of space, you know, unconsciously as a way to come together because it's really humanity's journey um, to look for life in the universe. And I think that's part of our message that's, you know, we thought about what's our message before coming here, but it's kind of come to the top of the of the pile, you know, as the important message that we're here to sort of share our journey and humanity's journey so far and let people know that you know, there's really opportunities for just everybody. You know, we need we need artists, we need scientists, we need policymakers, engineers, journalists. We need we need everybody to get involved. And you know, so yeah, I think yeah. Uh, which kind of leads into the next question, which is about like one of the 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 questions which I see raised sometimes when space exploration and things like that. We won't go into Space Force. I promise you I won't ask you about <laughs> Space Force. But like, if you read you know, the news articles and stuff like that and people are like, I don't understand why we're spending so much money on doing space exploration when we've got all these problems in, on Earth. Oh, yeah. How do you guys deal with that when you're actually doing the work of space exploration and finding out what's out there? Oh, man, I just... That's so important because, you know, for me, sometimes the work is really isolating. I mean, I'm working by myself and sometimes a windowless office and sometimes, you know, it can be competitive or, you know, there's there's problems in, in science in that regard. And I think that it's just you really need to re- realize how you're of service, how you're giving back. And I've taken a lot of time to reflect on that. And I mean, I can go into a lot of detail, but to make a long story short, I really like how, for what I do particularly at NASA, is sort of putting ourselves into context. And by looking outward, we're sort of also looking inward and we're sort of learning about ourselves and figuring out where we come from. And that can, you know, impact every part of our life. And I think a lot of people, you know, want to have those questions answered. Maybe sometimes, maybe we don't, and that's okay. (laughs) And NASA in general, and Alex can say more about this, but, you know, NASA is like, people are asking, you know, are you worried that SpaceX is launching, you know, the rockets now? It's privatized. What's going on with NASA? And, you know, I really like, Alex has brought up multiple times how we 
we're using NASA technology to give, and we're giving it back to the people, you know. I, I, I'm like, oh, well, you know, your memory foam mattress was made, you know, at NASA, but, you know, there's even more examples, right? Well, GPS is an obvious one. Maybe, you know, if you ask people to found, uh, you know, the global position system, maybe it will be hicky about it and there's better things to do. But right now, you know, if you take away GPS, there's not going to be a single airplane flying on the planet. And mm. So there's a lot of things we got back on the long run. I think it's, a, you know, it's a couple of years in, in, in the future, we'll look back and say, yeah, we developed some technology, we learned something about ourselves. So it's not immediate rewards, but we making the, I think, the civilization progressing as a whole. Yeah. yeah well, and, and it's great. You know, it's great that these things do exist. So let's look further out, and you know, as you're saying, you guys are interested in finding life out out there. And mm-hmm. the documentary that we're talking about, Living Universe, really interesting. And I like the way it paints how the people working in the industry today are going to help the discovery in, you know, maybe 50 years time, 100 years time, you know, whatever. It shows the value of the work that's already been done right now, which. You know, it doesn't really need to be shown, but it does, you know, to provide a little bit of context. So I guess the question is, is, you know, life is out there. That's no longer like debated. Is that right? Is, or it's still kind evidence. of, no, we, no. We, we don't have, we have convictions. Of life. <laughs> yeah, we What's have motivation yeah. <laughs> and, and insight to think that it's worth looking for. Say, yeah. And, yeah. Strong and uh, strong motivation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, to be politically correct, you know, it's an open and fascinating questions, and then people have their own conviction. I'm personally pretty convinced. Yeah, life is out there. Me yeah. too. I'd yeah. say so. I mean, the the odds are pretty heavy in the favor of life being out there. Mm-hmm. And so, what I like about the documentary is it shows that life, you know, can be. It's not going to. It may not be like you know. Aliens. to aliens and you know advanced civilizations and stuff like that it may be just a plant or something like that so is that what excites you about finding life out in space is it just you know that there, there might be bacteria somewhere out there oh yeah yeah, yeah. so uh if i can expand on that yeah, I, yeah. a colleague of us a quick paquet uh make this very good point and I think he's quoting uh, one of uh, Asimov's uh, book and it's the theory of the zero one infinity rule and which means these are basically the three numbers you have in the universe you know either it's zero either it's one infinity so if you apply it for life you know we know it's not zero because we are here <laughs> so maybe there's one you know maybe we are the only one in the universe but if we do find uh, life on somewhere that means everywhere it doesn't make any sense to say there might be two forms of life or 17. So I think the opportunities are gigantic and it's really worth looking for. Because if we found life, simple life, microbial life on another planet, I mean, it's, it's out there and it must be everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And for you as well, like the, the enjoyment of trying to find life out there, is that, you know... Definitely. I think... <laughs> I see opportunities right now to move my work in the direction to look for for life because I think realistically, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't even have evidence of other planets outside our solar system. So it's sometimes easy to get ahead of ourselves and think about, you know, in our minds, like what's possible. And that's so enticing. But realistically, to, to be truthful, we actually are moving into opportunities to look more deeply at these questions. And I think even 
the a possibility of, of microbial life in our solar system is it would be profound. But I also think that it's not unrealistic to start thinking about looking for technology, signs of technology. And NASA actually is hosting the first ever techno signatures workshop in history in wow. September. So I actually got a spot at that workshop and I'm really happy. I'm really excited to be a part of like trying to define how we can use NASA resources to actually go beyond what we've done in the past, like radio astronomy. And so actually, I think it's not, it's safe to say that we can actually look for things beyond microbial life as well, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It might be more easy to find, actually. So techno signatures, I imagine, are like looking for like a, a voice out, like a radio signal out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we need, to, we need to actually figure out more than just a radio signal. Like we need to sort of sit down together and talk about what else is possible. What else is, could we start looking for and, and kind of open that box up a little bit more, I think, as well. Yeah. So the launch of TESS, the Terrestrial Exoplanet Survey Satellite, which is really interesting. Like what's the aim of that particular satellite what's the the goal of this device yeah tess is going to be sort of doing something similar to kepler and it's going to look for this characteristic dimming of starlight when a planet happens to serendipitously orbit in such a way where it passes in front of its star as it goes around and around and what's different about tess is that it's going to be looking at the same i'm sorry <laughs> kepler looked at the same patch of night sky tess is going to be looking at every single part of our night sky, scanning for the nearest and brightest objects. Kepler just looked at the same patch and it looked at everything it possibly could over four years. So it could find you know, a planet that orbited every year, similar to Earth. Mm-hmm. Whereas TESS is gonna be two years long, looking at the nearest and brightest target. So it's gonna find a lot of planets around smaller, cooler stars, but these are gonna be fantastic targets to characterize in a lot more depth and to look at their atmospheres, look for clouds and actually look for biosignatures, I think as well. Yeah. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I find like one of the things which I found is kind of sad in a way, but also kind of hopeful that was explored in the film is that, you know, these satellites that get sent out and it, you know, the, the relay time is short from Mars to Earth compared to, say, when these satellites go out of certain areas. And so it may, you know, you may not get a relay for years. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with knowing that you've put something up there and you may never find out in your lifetime <laughs> what the response is going to be? Well, so, I mean, there's two parts for the question. NASA is already dealing with the relay. So when you send a spacecraft to Mars, you want to land that surface. It's a very dangerous operation, and a lot of countries have failed to do that. They had, you know, sending mission to Mars, uh, $100 million, and, you know, things didn't work out. And it actually take uh, from 7 to 14 minutes for a signal to travel from Earth to Mars. So we already have these engineers sitting in the control room and we know the spacecraft landed 14 minutes ago and we just have no idea what happens. And it's even, it's even magnified when we go to the older solar system, to the older planets, and then the delay is a couple of hours. So I think it's already accepted that you know, we're standing at this spot and then something's happening in a different timeline and different, in different space. And if we're sending spacecraft just a couple of light years away, it's, uh, it might seem like a long time, but it's not 
out of reach. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be in, in my lifetime. So I think it's just part of a part of it, and I think it's very poetic uh, somehow. But you know, you're sending some signal from the space and building on previous generations' work. Yeah. Okay. Because I I think it's like it feels like teamwork across generations exactly to me that's like, what it is yeah you're setting the foundations for people in the future and we're standing on the shoulders of previous generation yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's exciting um so let's talk about mars for a moment because mars is like it's not far away <laughs> in in the grand scheme of the universe it's not far away <laughs> it's our neighbor yeah yeah it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what excites you about mars uh about mars the so we've been looking for uh, life on Mars for quite a long time since the Viking missions. Mm. But every time we thought we figured out Mars, it's just sent us back to the drawing boards. So there's a lot to be discovered on Mars. And we, we have evidence that there was liquid water in, in the past because the Mars doesn't have plate tectonics. So there is nothing recirculating the surface. So the surface is very old. So when you look at the surface, you're looking 4 billion years in the past. And we have evidence for liquid water, so we know that the conditions were right at some point for life to occur. And we didn't get very good answer yet, because it's so there's only so much instrumentation you can bring to the surface and operate on a tiny rover. So there's a lot more to to be discovered. So I think it's still an open question about whether or not there was life on Mars. Mm. It's exciting, though. Like, it's exciting that, you know, obviously the moon is... I keep on saying just there, like it's, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to pop down to the moon for a little bit, you know, <laughs> but awesome. it's, yeah, <laughs> but it like in the, in the grand scheme of the universe, it is just there. Yeah. So yeah. do you think that like, it's not far away that we'll have people on Mars? Uh, it depends on the timeline you're speaking and it depends. I don't know. I'm a true believer of the round trip tickets mm-hmm. and I know some people have been, you know, proposing the idea that we could have settlement on Mars and, and one way mission. But uh, yeah, Mars is very close and it's been a very good playground for NASA to test robotic missions. And actually in the next rover in 2020, they're going to have a mini helicopter flying around. All right. This has been announced. And uh, I think uh, space, uh, you know, the space industry is at a very interesting age. Now we got internet, we got smartphone, we got better technology and NASA is flying student experiment into space. So it feels, it feels like you know, just just new to me. You feel like we've never been to space before, and there's uh, so much possibilities to to be done. Well, there is so much out there that's like, as our technology starts growing even further, we learn so much more. And you know, it feels like whenever I wake up in the morning, because obviously completely different uh, hemisphere, completely different timeline. So you know, <laughs> in America, the whole day has already existed and gone. So I wake up in the morning and sometimes something really exciting will happen. <laughs> and you're like, wow, it all happened while I was asleep. And, oh, and no. you know, it's great. It's exciting yeah. because, uh, you know, it's nice to wake up and feel like the world has kind of changed for the better in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing, yeah. So it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't happen all that often, but when it does, it's, yeah, it's thrilling. So for you guys, the next generation of people who are going to be exploring space and stuff like that how do you encourage people to get into stem fields and things like that especially for women as well oh yeah i love i love answering this question right now it's taken me a long time to actually figure out how to answer this question and a lot of reflection because you know 
sometimes we don't really know what we want or how we get to where we are. And we, it is really helpful to try to share that journey. And I think for me, I think a lot of things are changing. For instance, we have just way quicker access to information that we've never had before. I think our generation, I like to think that our early career uh, researchers, they're not as interested in these Nobel Prizes and these these big awards as, as the, the older folks are. I think we want to move science away from being kind of this closed system where, you know, you're kind of competing and you're, you know, for resources and then all of a sudden one person emerges as the hero and gets gets the prize. Kind of move it more now into sort of this open and reproducible framework where, you know, there's no proprietary period on the data and anybody can have a go at exploring it. And there's no sort of, there's not this big competitive race to get to be able to remain a scientist. I think our generation, like, get rid of those things and just let people explore. And I think that's becoming more of a reality. And I think we need more people to join that effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more, more now than ever is it possible to comfortably just be a scientist. We don't, you don't need to be able to stand up at a chalkboard and do mental math really well. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's like a, a stereotype. Like, you know, I'm biased as to what stereotypes. But we don't need to do that. We have... People have built this open source software and people have provided these infrastructures now that make it so anybody can do really intense science, really, Mm. honestly. And a lot of the tools you're learning, you're not necessarily learning these. And like, I have a huge amount of knowledge I learned from my undergrad degree, for sure. But a lot of the things I'm learning now are very much so emerging very quickly, like emerging statistical methods, emerging computing infrastructures. And those things you learn... You know, by chatting with others, you learn, like, there's a lot of online resources, and a lot of it is open. Mm -hmm. It's already open. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm talking to kids, and (laughs) they have Wikipedia. Like, they're going to know. One kid was like, what day in April was test launched? The exact day. And I'm like, "Uh oh (laughs) 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 Like, you have Wikipedia. You don't need to. (laughs) Don't put me there. Like, I'm just kidding. But so how about you, Alex? Uh, yeah, no, I think it's a it's a great time because uh, yeah, it's it's more interconnected. I think uh, the different countries, there's a lot of collaboration in space, and even at a lower level. But it's not only the government leading leading space program, but also universities and yeah, NASA has been flying you know uh, experiment from schools, from middle schools, and everybody can get his chance. I think. And I'm very excited about the Australian Space Agency because that's going to be a local actor in organizing a bit all the ideas that are around and and uh, yeah and engage the country in I think in a search for life and yeah and, and better things from space. Yeah, well, that's one of the things which I found about space in general is like we a lot of people obviously live around cities and stuff like that. So there's a lot of light pollution. So you go out at night and you just don't see the stars and I think in Australia we're very fortunate in that, you know, I can drive out to the country and it's an hour away. Well, in Perth at least, mm-hmm. it's an hour away and then I can actually see the stars and see the Milky Way and, and stuff like that. And it's not really a question as such, but I find that it's, it bothers me that there's so much light pollution and you can't see the possibilities out there. So it's exciting that at least online, you know, people are engaging with space in different ways because... You know, we've got to. It's yeah. it's a it's a whole untapped field. 
And as Megan said, now the Kepler data is open source, so at the second we take the picture, it goes straight to the servers, and you, everyone can access it. Well, it doesn't go straight to the surface because you have to wait for the telescope to, you know, to send it back, to rotate and send it back. But it is, it's, there's no political proprietary period where they're keeping the data away from all the other scientists and only giving it to a couple special scientists who yeah. get to, to carry out the research and then get the, you know, the recognition. And I think, you know, it's, we're, we're, we want to recognize that it's these huge groups, hundreds of people, and, and not just single out certain people. I think that will help science move into being more of service to everybody. Mm. Unless, you know, different people, you know, bringing their own backgrounds and their own biases into science will help make science more inclusive quantitatively and qualitatively. Yeah. So we it's say, a big deal. We always say to the kids, you know, you, you can be part of it. Yeah. And, and they really can. Yeah. yeah, you really, really can. I think so. Yeah. Sure. And there is, oh, I wanted to say, um, SETI at Home is a example of some of these citizen science projects that are really, really valuable. We met one young man um, up in Darwin. His name was Andrew. Um, his brother was named Anthony. I can't remember his last name, but he actually was on a paper with Kepler scientists wow. for helping to discover planets in the K2 data set. Some really interesting systems just at home. Yeah. So there's there's Planet Zoo, Galaxy Zoo, SETI at Home. There's different citizen science projects that are really, really helping real scientists. Not that there is such a thing as, a you know, everybody can be a real scientist, but if you're not, you know, you didn't go through all that training and that kind of thing, there's still a way for you to make a significant impact. And I think that's extremely tantalizing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as you're saying, I mean, real scientists, they've got certificate to say they've done all the work, but it's still... You know, the information is out there that at least people who are excited can get a foothold into exploring information and things like that. And, you know, people can go and buy a telescope and, and see the universe and things like that. Um, let me just double check what time. Cool. I've got... Right, I've had, like, two more questions which I really want to ask. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot more actually, but you know, I could sit here and talk about this all day long because it's really, really interesting. It's up to you. We've we got plenty of time. time yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take five more minutes of your time. Um, I'm curious about what the biggest misconception that people have about what you guys do that bothers you. Oh, that bothers it. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> or that you want to set the record okay, straight yeah. on. No, it may bother you, may not. But if you want to set the record straight on something. Oh, well, people ask us a lot if we are astronauts. If we've gone to space. That, right. that doesn't bother me. But <laughs> <laughs> I say I wish. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like people are asking, have you been to space? Or do you want to go to space? And I... Part of me feels like what I should be saying is like, of course, but I'm actually walking around saying like, no way, I'm not going to outer space. I'm, mm. I can go there with my imagination. I can go there with my, <laughs> you know, my research. But Alex actually would, wouldn't, wouldn't be opposed to it, I think. Yeah. But I think um, one of the things, like, I really do like challenging, personally, I like challenging stereotypes. I think I'm drawn to doing that. And I, I do kind of... In, I don't know, I do kind of feel meaningfulness and being a woman in science in that regard. And, and I like to think that I'm approachable or, you know, human. I just met with a friend from high school who was like, wow, like, you're working at NASA, but you're just as confused about life as I am. And I feel better now. And, and for me, like, I, my first reaction is like, oh, no, I'm not living up to my reputation. But then I'm like, you know, I'm really, I think it's really important. 
yeah. it's really important because it helps people to other people to think that if they want to explore their own questions and curiosity that you know humans are moving in the direction to let that be the case for everyone i think that is inspiring in a sense so. yeah definitely Yeah. yeah, and I could add that a lot of people come to me and asking me which incredible career I had before I ended up to NASA. And I was like, you know, I just uh, decided to contact this person. And <laughs> I sent him an email and he said, yes, I could come over. And that's how it started. Like, there was nothing incredible, you know. I'm just, uh, yeah, any other, any other student. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be, you know, extraordinary. It's just very um, real and anyone could be part of it. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a key thing is, that, you know, you put yourself out there and said... You put yourself out there. Like, I'm interested in this. I'll contact this person. If they respond, great. If they don't respond, exactly. so be it. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? And you'd be surprised how few people do reach out. I mean, every time a woman reaches out to me or a young person, not just women, but I really do. Like, I give them my business card. I engage in them on email. I try to connect them to people that they might want to work with. And mm. I can do that, honestly, because... It's actually not as much as you would think. People people really, all you have to do is put yourself in the line of fire. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Um, so I'm curious as well. One of the things that has always been of interest to me is how planets and solar systems and things like that, how do they get their names? What, you know, do, do they kind of be like, oh, we did K yesterday, we're going to do J today. Or okay, so Kepler... <laughs> We call the Kepler objects of interest, like Kepler 5, Kepler 11, based on the telescope. And there's also, like, different missions, like WASP and HAT and um, for the planets. And the, I know our planetary systems are, you know, is very historical. Like, they're named after after mythology yeah, characters, yeah. which is kind of neat. And in the, the documentary, I know... I don't know if I'm allowed to give away... Some. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the spaceship is called Minerva, and they're traveling to Minerva B. So we call... The star would be called Minerva, and the planet... The first planet discovered would be Minerva B. The okay. second planet discovered would be, would be Minerva C. So it's kind of... You know, we just kind of hack that together as a way to to, uh, to keep track, you know, of sure. the planets. And Minerva, I looked it up, and it's actually a Roman god, a female Roman god... Um, I think somewhat based on it could be like military or something. I, I have to read it again, but it is mythological okay. as well in the documentary. So I think that's yeah. kind of neat. Yeah, I, I I find it really fascinating. It's a bit like cyclones and things like that. You know, fortunately enough, there's already been a cyclone, Andrew, which didn't do that much destruction. So it felt <laughs> good for me. But I'm like, <laughs> you know, I always find it interesting how those how things got their names. Um, all right. So last question. Is there a particular source or a particular thing that book, site, whatever, that you recommend people seek out if they're interested in learning more about space? What's the one thing that you're like, hey, read this, seek out this? Oh, so that's such a good question. My personal take, uh, there is this movie called uh, In the Shadow of the Moon. And it's about the Apollo program, you know, everything uh, originated and it has a lot of uh, great shots. And I think it was very uh, ins inspirational. You know, when I was a kid, I was also a little dubious, like, did we ever go to the moon? Because I didn't have any really access to this information growing up. And uh, that would be my to-go thing about, you know, the inspiration about, uh, yeah, space exploration. Why, why are we getting to these places? What are we learning? Which perspective does it give us? Uh, yeah, In the Shadow of the Moon. That would be my one-to-go movie. Cool. That sounds really good. A movie? Yeah. 
So the, well, it doesn't have to be a movie. Yeah. It can be a book as well. Or, yeah, yeah. So the first one that pops to my mind um, is um, Carl Sagan's Contact. Honestly, because the movie is inspiring, but even in the book, I felt like it really correctly depicted the life of a real astronomer, like the process of winning grant money, the process of, you know, publishing in a scientific journal. And I felt like, you know, I didn't actually read the book until later after I had seen the movie. And when I read the book, I was like, oh, my gosh, he really knew. Of course he did. Carl Sagan, he really knew what was going on. And not only that is, you know, the character is based off of a real person, Jill Tarter, who works nearby us in Mountain View, California. And so that's kind of neat, too. It's actually, it's a fiction book, but I think it has a lot of inspiration and a lot of, like, realisticness about what it's like to be a scientist and the challenges you face as well. Mm. They're two great suggestions. Really, really fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. And I've learned a lot. And, you know, I'm, there is a lot more to learn as well. But, yeah, I really... It's fascinating. Yeah. It, it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's Thank a pleasure so to be here. Yeah. Finally, the moment of truth is coming. It could change uh, people's uh, religious beliefs. It could change the way we think about uh, our place in the universe. Once we think we have a chance, we will develop interstellar exploration. There are thousands of extrasolar planets and just a tiny slice of the Milky Way. At this moment, there is a vastness out there for us to explore that will challenge us for generations. This is the quest that we have been on from the moment we were conscious as a species. And the payoff once we get there is beyond belief. Living Universe. So that was Alex Kling and Megan Chabram talking about their work and what they do with NASA and all the exciting stuff that goes on with space. I really enjoyed doing this discussion and I hope you enjoy listening to it as well. And if you're in Perth, as I was saying, the 18th of August, head along, go and see this film, uh, go and meet these guys and, and listen and talk about their, their work. And if you're in Sydney and Melbourne, then the other dates are to come as well. More information, head over to livinguniverse.com.au. And for more of this particular show, head over to thecurb.com.au and you can listen to more episodes of Not A Knife, read written reviews, read articles and things like that. Or you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash thecurbau or on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecurbau. And if you've got any questions or suggestions, uh, hit me up at thecurbau at gmail.com. Alternatively, patreon.com forward slash thecurbau as well. That is a place where you can throw some money at me and really help the website continue going and all that kind of stuff. Some nice rewards as well. Especially uh, at the moment, there's going to be a giveaway for some great Australian films on the Facebook page as well. Uh, So head over there, give it a like, and go in the running to win a great pack of about 10 Australian films on there. A lot of fun. Anyway, thank you again for listening. Uh, Hopefully you're all going well and keeping safe out there in the world. And I'll see you on the next episode of Not A Knife. I see you've played Knifey Spoony before. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. 
Let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now at Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.